It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lokabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. In addition to cboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at turnboot.com. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to our Thursday get together for IOs, HRs, recruiters, and one actor. Uh, here we are uh, trying to help people in the new paradigm that we're seeing in the work world. And we've really sort of gotten into conversations over the last little while about HR and IO and how they can share the sandbox. Uh, and today, Jeremy, we're gonna look at HR functions and how IO psychology plays a part. Uh, so was this a question or yeah, a question that someone submitted or did you find this as a result of an article or where's it come from? So we had our we had our monthly event on on Tuesday, and this is a bit of an offshoot on that where we're going to dive into some specifics and also look at a mind map that shows HR and IO and kind of the uh, the Lone Ranger parts of each one and also the integrated parts. And then we'll also do a couple polls to look at, all right, what are some of the, the variables that are involved with these particular functions? Because once we find those, you know, Tom, we're fresh off of the uh, virtual communication mastery event a couple minutes ago, where Dr. Patricia Delgado was talking a lot about the research. So we can start to get an idea too, put our put our heads together of what are some of the variables involved with this? And what's some of the research that we might look at to help with these particular initiatives, whether you're in HR or IO. So to start, I'm going to put up this very busy, very busy mind map that we've shared in the past. Are you able to see that now? Oh, there it is. Okay. And then for our, we'll just, we'll just keep in mind that we've got, uh, we'll have listeners on the, on the, on the audio, on the podcast. So if we're talking about this, we'll try to be as descriptive and provide a vis- as much of a visual as we can. How's it showing up? Is it really hard to see? No, it looks pretty good, Jeremy. Depending, Okay, so depending on the size of your screens, uh, it, it will be easier or more difficult. And I think what I'll do is I'll try to get that up in the chat pretty soon. So in general, we have this mind map and we've got, we've got up top, we've got IO psychology, a box. And then down below, we've got HR in a box. And then we have all these tentacles coming out where we have these red lines and it's showing that what are the main HR, you know, the standard functions and then some of the more emerging functions like time and, ex- and attendance and documentation and scalable applicant tracking systems, employee handbooks, terminations and contracts agreements, 
exit policies and processes, business staffing plans, and you can imagine what else might be in there if you're only listening. And we also have the IO psychology box up top, and we've got some of the, the, the main functions, the main focus areas of IO. So we're talking about team dynamics and development, organizational climate, employer brand, organizational culture, learning and development, onboarding, recruiting, remote work, personality and productivity styles, team dynamics. And then we also have these black dotted lines where it shows, all right, here's where these functions intersect, where IO might take a part, HIR might take a part. And of course, this is also open for argument and interpretation as well. Some of the shared functions, we're looking at performance measures and recruiting and job descriptions and health and wellness. And again, onboarding and learning and development, organizational culture, team dynamics. So there's some some of those shared, particular shared aspects. So I am going to turn it over to you, Tom, to ask a question for the audience and someone can chime in there and I'll get to working on a poll question. Sounds good. Um, Ariana, I'd love to go to you because, you know, when it comes to HR and the functions of HR, where does the HR person sort of, you know, sit at their desk and go, I really need to bring in an IO. What, what, <laughs> when, when is that decision made and do HR really want to embrace an IO? Yeah. Like always, I feel like this is an, it depends question. It depends on how big the company is, how big the HR department is. Sometimes HR will never think of it because they're a team of one, two, or three, and they're too busy managing their role and looking at all of the things that traditionally fall under HR, which you see here, like benefits and comp and onboarding. And really, there are some HR departments that really have their head down with some of those traditional HR duties. But I think where we see people bringing in an IO is when HR wants to have a role in the development of the culture, of helping organizations to be values aligned, to help the organizational strategies such as branding of the culture and how people feel when it goes into perhaps the employee engagement space. That's where I've seen a lot of HR leaders want to embrace more of the IO side of you know how can this organization function more effectively. And that's where IOs bring a lot of assessments and knowledge and expertise that can contribute. And Linda, would you say there's, is Ariana right on track here, or are there some other areas where HR should really sort of consider bringing in the IO? You know, I think one of the things is most HR professionals aren't even aware of IOs and what they can do for the organization. So I think there's that piece of it. And so I think there there needs to be some education of human resources that you all exist and that, and, and what you can do. But I think the areas that that Ariana had indicated are are pretty spot on. You know, it's really where they want to change. If they're looking to change a behavior, then they they look for an outside resource because they're not particularly human resources. People aren't particularly adept at, at really drilling down. Well, they don't have the skill set, but they're not also aren't adept at drilling down into the whys of things or more on the surface level of what's present now. So let me, let me swap the question a little bit here and go to you, Dr. Martha. If you were talking to an HR person for the very first time, let's say I'm an HR person, how can you as an IO help me, especially with some of the the functions that I have? Well, you know, I think that 
the first step would be to try and understand what functions you as an HR person has. And I say that because we're looking at this <clears throat> with an assumption that HR is HR and it's the same at every company. But I keep thinking about several small companies that I've encountered where either there is no HR, uh, someone within the organization performs some of the HR functions, mostly when it comes to things like benefits or onboarding or hiring, or you have a dedicated HR person, one lonely soul, who is also responsible for other non-HR related things within the company. So I think in order to understand how an IO could help HR, begins with understanding what is it that you are responsible for and within those responsibilities where could you then use some help where do you think that maybe some of the things that are being asked of you as an hr person are outside of either your comfort zone or your knowledge base and to me it's all about working together to figure out the best ways to complement and support each other. So the answer may not be the same for every conversation that you have with an HR person, but I always think of the two as complementary. Uh, same thing with MBAs. Sometimes people think that IOs and MBAs need to compete. And to me, those are apples and oranges and you put them together and make a beautiful fruit basket. What's there to fight about? So it's the same kind of thing with HR, in my opinion knowing what you're working with, what that person or that group of people could use your help with, and then tailor what you can do for them so that it all comes together, that you're working for the same end results. Uh, I think that's great. Jeremy, I think you've got your hand up and I think you've got a poll ready for us. Yeah. So the poll it's up. So a nice little um, uh, runway here. What are the variables involved with employee onboarding? And I think Sometimes it's helpful no matter what situation you're in. You know, you take onboarding, for example, and that's one of the things that often organizations put off, especially if they have a smaller HR department or a small business where you've just got one, maybe two people in HR, get them on board, get them working, get them a fast start. But saying, oh, we want an employee onboarding process, but it's on the back burner. We don't have the time. So I think sometimes it's it's good to chunk things, you know, break them down to the ridiculous kind of thing. And what are some of the variables that you can start to look into? And if you're a, you know, if you're a seasoned researcher, if you're still loving your, uh, you know, your, your IO, IO grad school days, you know, you go to your Google Scholar, you go to your alumni database, your current database, or you go to uh, ResearchGate or academia.edu. What do we already know? What does what does the research tell us about these very specific things? So, for example, some people have already shared learning speed, assimilation into the culture, comprehensiveness, length of time. So, you know, one of the biggest things is uncertainty. And when you're when you're being onboarded, we can look at these variables like what plays into uncertainty? What's correlated with uncertainty? How do you reduce uncertainty? Because we do know in terms of the socialization process, which is onboarding, that uncertainty who you know how am i going to fit in what's it going to be like to be with my boss how strict are they what's the team dynamics like what are the personalities do i have a mentor all this uncertainty can hamper just the regular orientation process to an organization and prevent someone from really hitting the ground running you can go to the research you can also just go you know if you're not a seasoned researcher you can you can go to the web and you can look at some things 
Dr. Patricia Delgado was saying earlier, you know, validate your resources, make sure that it's just not somebody, you know, sitting in their basement all day playing video games and then just trying to fool everyone with, <laughs> with some nonsense that's out there. But what what what's going on? Like, how do you reduce uncertainty? What's the value of having an onboarding mentor in the organization? And then we look at that. How much time is needed? So maybe you find a study on, all right, what's what what's the best amount of time to be able to spend with a mentor? What's the kind of access to be able to spend with a mentor? And then you might look at resources, right? So we, we can start to understand and get an idea what's involved with onboarding. We've got follow-up. Well, here's, here's awesome. You just put some good stuff in. Training content, leaders, company brand materials, norms, and back into like learning speed, uncertainty. So we can start to identify, all right, we're starting to break it down to the ridiculous. Here are the variables that are involved. We can do some research into these variables, and then we can start to put together our program. Or if you have an onboarding program, how can you, as people in charge of this, whether HR, IO, hybrid, how can you make your current program better? So we'll put a couple more polls up. Well, you're pushing buttons, Jeremy. Um, you know, we're talking about onboarding again, and I'm like, is anybody really onboarding and really onboarding and, and doing it well? Yeah, and we've got, it's episode somewhere in the 60s or 70s of the podcast where we did the uh, nice conversation about orientation versus onboarding, what, what the difference is. And there are still plenty of organizations where it's sign off on this employee handbook, make sure you got your forms done, emergency contacts, watch this, uh, you know, watch this video and you're in kind of thing. And that's more of your orientation. The onboarding is really kind of uh, an assimilation into the organization's culture. It's an introduction. It's reducing that uncertainty. It's giving, it's making sure that they feel that they're a part of the organization can keep part of their personal identity. And then how, how can they start to integrate their own identity with that identity of the organization? So there's so much involved and um, it's a good podcast for everyone to listen to who's curious about that particular aspect, Tom. All right. Do you want to show us that slide or should we go to Ariana? You can go to Ariana. Dr. Ariana, let's go to you. I was just going to add that I actually think that discussing the, the elements of onboarding really points to what Dr. Martha was saying about how really ideally this is a partnership between IOs and HR, because you see we have the importance of talking someone through their benefits. Like that is a very important allocation of time, in my opinion. So you understand what, what you can access and how that's going to impact your work life and you're out of work life. But then there's these elements such as social expectations and cultural norms and code of conduct and things like that, which might operate more at the organizational functioning team level where traditional HR specialists might not, or they may, others feel free to chime in, but they might not have that, that perspective to bring. Whereas IOs, I think, are helpful in terms of helping an individual understand their role within the organization, what the dynamics will be like, and really more of that people orientation, helping them understand the culture and what it means to be a part of this company. Sounds good. Brendan, let's go to you. Um, does that make sense? Or because you have a foot in each court here, or, or where are we going? So within the concept of making robust onboarding programs, I've done that a couple times. And what always gets me is what I think is good versus what somebody else think is good. I never think it's enough. They always think it's fine. So I've built in, 
hey, we're going to get you on board with somebody who's going to be kind of your onboarding buddy. But in, in reality, they're going to be your organizational buddy where typically it could be someone in the department, but I, you know, it doesn't have to be. But it's more about assimilating them into the culture. And then you want somebody also on their team where it's like, look, as you have questions, and as you're learning these things, this is the person you want to go to. Because within that concept of onboarding, companies are awful at training new hires on what needs to be done to be able to do the job from t- you know, day one. Uh, you know, they're running lines going on right now is that a entry-level job is y- the only thing you've been doing before that is is focused on playing beer pong and having a good time. That's a real entry-level job. Entry-level job does not mean you have three years worth of experience in this. That's not entry-level. And why do they do that? Because their training is awful and they don't have the capabilities to get somebody who's to go from throwing beer, you know, ping pong balls into a, into a, a Soho cup to, hey, this is how you stuff a package or do those types of things, which should be kind of basic, some of those industries. <laughs> I just like red drink cups. Dan, uh, let's go to you. I think that, that having that person to help them integrate into the organization is the absolute most critical piece of, of an onboarding process. And Usually when I would set someone up with that person, it would also be someone who was on their team um, for the most part so that they can ask, I always said that hundred questions a day for that first two weeks. So, you know, where the, you know, where the paper is for the printer or where, you know, how do we access these particular files and, and you need them all in real time in those first two weeks. And so I think that, Having a person set up with the new hire is, if you don't do anything else, I I would say that's the most critical. Uh, Lee, I want to come to you for a second uh, because, you know, we, (laughs) I want to lean on your military experience because we, we often don't think of the military as, you know, like a business, but when it comes to, you know, hiring people and employees, you know, the U S military is one of the largest employers, you know, in the country. So how does HR function inside the military and what would be the role for an IO? Uh, well, you know, there's two sides. There's the, there's the actual military uh, HR type functions and then there's the civilian employee HR function, uh, which I can't speak as much to. It's kind of general to the, the civil service. But, you know, as far as onboarding and stuff, the expectation, that's not always happens, but the expectation is that uh, you know, when you get noticed that someone is coming to your your organization, you assign them a sponsor. Uh, it's also assumed that the sponsor will have been provided training of what their their responsibilities are. That person then gets in touch with the person who is coming in and gives them information about the area, the housing, and schools, and where to show up, and what uniform to wear, and what time you should be there, uh, and any kind of particulars. And then they're they're expected to meet that person when they get there and, and walk them through it, you know, to, to take them to the different places. You know, you get a full check-in sheet of all the different places you got to go. You got to get your IT stuff done. You got to get your phone turned on. You got to, you know, where's your desk going to be? Uh, you know, where's the break room? Where's the restroom? You know, all those things. And they're expected to walk you around and, and facilitate that and make the introductions and whatever else. And of course, you know, some more successful than others. And, we actually have formal training programs for sponsors to be able to do that so that they know what their expectations are 
And then often when you get there, there's actually an orientation uh, that you'll sit in and they tell you all about the, the organization and what they do and everything else. And I know that the one here locally where I was stationed before I retired, um, they even go so far as to provide a tour of the of the Memphis area. They, they love everybody on a bus. They give you a day uh, of an alternate work site and they drive you around town and show you the high points of the Memphis area that you might want to check out, you know, later on with your family. Uh, but as far as the other um, HR functions, it, it varies because we actually have people who do that. We actually have a, there's a rating in the Navy called a personnel specialist and their job is to handle things like, uh, you know, records and, and that sort of thing. Make sure your pay is right and your entitlements as they change from location to location get, get updated. Uh, and then we have career counselors whose jobs are, uh, you know, to do career development and to help you with, uh, well, to help generally help the supervisors to go through uh, career progression and, you know, preparing you for promotion opportunities and that sort of thing. Really where I see the I.O. kind of go in, well, as, as Jeremy pointed out, I used I.O. for my, during my entire career, didn't even necessarily realize it, but the uh, they're really starting to use I.O.s more on the front end, where they're doing more psychometrics and, and that sort of thing to try to put the right, you know, to, to in, bring in the right person, you know, hire the right person to get them in the right specialty and uh, not just one that they can do, but one that they hopefully will enjoy doing so that they'll stay. Um, so there's a, there's a lot, there's a big push for that. It's, it's fairly recent. Uh, and then the rest of it is just, you know, coaching and you know, managing change. Uh, we could have used a lot of them during COVID because, you know, as they say, the Titanic doesn't turn on a dime. And military is very much that way. And they had to, to change rapidly. Well, I really like some of what you said about orientation. And it sounds like maybe the military, you know, maybe there's some lessons we could learn there. Um, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. So I was just going to comment on that too, Tom. It's very interesting what Lee is saying and what Linda Ann was saying, the importance of having someone there that will show you the ropes and answer the hundred questions that you have a day when you're brand new. And it sounds like the military has that covered, but I wonder how many uh, civilian organizations have that in place. Is it, um, and, and if they do, does that, that uh, buddy or mentor have any formal training to understand how to handle that and how to deal with that. Because if you think about the experience from the um, existing employees or the older employees' point of view, now their entire day is interrupted by questions. And that's just the necessity. It has to happen. Somebody has to answer those questions. And then I think about, well, who can take care of this? Is it really an IO function? I don't think so. This is more of an HR, let's get a training in place so that those people who will be helping out a new, um, a new team member will know how to handle it and will know what their responsibilities are. But those are excellent points because when you first start a job, you may know the job functions, for example, if you were hired as an accountant and you're an accountant and you have accounting experience, you know that part. But there's so much more that goes along with that where you're in a new place, a new company, new culture. So that, that was very, very good points by Lee and Linda Ann. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Brendan, let's go to you. 
So definitely to add to what Lee was saying, one of the things that I started doing with my own organization was um, working in tandem for somebody who might be new to the area, that these are certain things that you can do in the area. I also recommend count, uh, partnering with local associations, whether it's uh, a chamber association or something along those lines, because when you become good ambassadors to those organizations, they're always willing to help you out. It's also great whenever you have local government issues, you have somebody that you can go to there who helps your business get over that hurdle. And um, again, it's it's adding to your onboarding experience, helping your employees, helping your organization as a whole, and that ultimately hope, hope, hopefully helps your bottom line. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Turn boot. The name is not elegant. Neither are the issues that organizations face. Led by a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, you can rest assured that the highest standards and latest in workplace and human behavior science will be used to get your organization results with a tailored plan specific to your workplace needs. Truly helping others, integrity, positive impact, and getting results. That's what we stand for. That's Turnboot Organizational Excellence. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. And Linda Ann, let's go to you. So one of the things, um, there's, a, there's a couple things. Um, what some of the data shows is that when a manager is specifically involved in the training or onboarding of a new hire, the retention rate goes up for especially in the first year. So that's important. So we need to look at as human resource people, it's not just us that does this. And so the manager needs to be involved as well as as other people and to develop a culture of where everybody is responsible and understands that they're responsible for the integration and training of a particular employee. See that this new person doesn't isn't on this um, teams group or whatever it is you say oh let's get that taken care of for you and saying oh that's yeah they mess up all the time it's a different culture right so it's important that everybody feels some responsibility to integrate new hires into the organization the other thing when you're talking about all the questions that are asked and how much time it consumes what I would do is I said the mentor needs to be available for those on t- um, in real time for the first two weeks. Boom, 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 boom. After the first two weeks, then they need to schedule times when it's good for the person to accumulate their questions and then run through them with that particular mentor. So if it's at noon and at the end of the day, however that works for them so that the mentor can get their work done because <laughs> it get, can be pretty taxing at some point. And then the other thing, too, is is similar to, I think, was it, um, I forget who was saying it, but uh, looking for those commonalities with the other team. As a human resources person, I was always um, very careful to understand what people did for fun and, you know, what groups were, you know, there were social groups on the, the Teams app or whatever, so that people, you know, if they were playing softball or if they were climbing the mountain or whatever it was, that I matched them up with somebody who had some kind of common interest. It's kind of like when, when my daughter started high school, they wanted the kids to sign up for, if they thought they might be interested in a group, sign up for the group because they knew that success, that really affected the success 
of that person in 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 high school. So, and that's not different. You know, it's very similar for the workplace as well. Let me ask you, Linda Ann, because we've talked a little bit about you know with Lee about the military. Um, are are you seeing you know state and local governments? You know, we we kind of separate them from the business world as well, but. Once again, you know, they have HR departments, they have HR people, but do they need the IO as well? Because, you know, especially I think about municipalities and, and the people who work in them, they, they're people from the community. You know, they do have a sense of community, um, but sometimes not. Sometimes it's a little bit more like, you know, I work with people from, you know, nine to five and I don't want to you know have anything to do with you after that. So is is does government as well need to hear this messaging do they need to look at the way they're doing things oh i think that the governments absolutely do because they're number one their recruitment process is is so onerous so um i think that yeah they they i think that they would do well to have ios and and giving them some idea of a better way to get people into their system because they're leaving a lot on the table as far as talent, because there's so it's so hard to get through their their recruitment system, and I think that a lot of people who are qualified and have other options say, "Yeah, no." <laughs> Let's make it easy, if you want. <laughs> Amanda um, Ray, <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Linda. One other comment I wanted to make is when I do have those mentors, those those people that they do get training and they are also people who are interested in moving into management right. so that they can get a, their toe wet, see if they like being responsible for someone's success on some level. And thank you for that. Amanda Ray, thank you very much for raising your hand and joining us here. Uh, go ahead. I think you're really hitting on an important point there. Um, I am a state employee for going on almost 18 years now, working my way, you know, working my way through the chain to get where I want to specialize. And I finally have found that area in addition to now, um, finishing up my PhD. So I can definitely say that uh, what Linda Ann's hitting on about the the need of it, absolutely, especially with the struggle that individuals even in-house have to transfer from one area to another. Um, there is a very definitive need for IOs within government. And also with that being said, that is also somewhat impacted based upon how IOs can either feel as they've, um, I have met some IOs that want that IO title, and there is reluctance to entering a position that doesn't allow them to have that IO title. Um, so there is, I believe, a sense of identity for some where they, because the state classification systems often don't have industrial organizational psychologists, they'll have a psychologist, but it's clinically focused. And that's especially important for like the Department of Correction, agencies, et cetera. So there is a definitive need, but I also think that there's a point in the side from the IOs where there's the need to maybe flex and finding where do you want to contribute and finding is it more of a, as a generalist or a specialist? Um, I'm a specialist in an L&D, so that's how I contribute. But there needs to be the understanding that the the likelihood that any of these government agencies will identify an industrial and organizational psychologist classification series is not likely going to happen anytime soon. Um, so is there the need? Absolutely. And is it recognized? Yes, partially. Um, but anything with government, it takes time. It's especially when you're dealing with legislation 
um, that impacts the work that is done. Yeah, it, you're, you're so right. It takes so long just to get somebody to make a decision. Uh, Brendan, let's go to you. So I have a couple stories that are more anecdotal, but uh, still very important nonetheless. So again, I am an IO, but full much more towards the O. So I like to talk to people uh, rather than work with numbers. So I have my one of my best friend's wife actually works for the DOL as far as helping disabilities um, for veterans and others. And to get things done, it definitely seems like it's a lot easier. It sounds like she had a much more robust training program. So that's one aspect of it for a government worker. Now, I had uh, met someone about a month ago who was going to start working for the VA in the uh, Tampa Bay area. And from what I heard, her recruiting and onboarding experience was an absolute nightmare. Um, she was trying to just, you know, submit documents that she needed to start working. And it was so hard to get in contact with somebody in HR and, you know, don't want to miss that phone call. Because if I miss that phone call, I'm not going to be able to get a hold of them. So again, it's two very different spectrums. Both are government run. One is doing really well and one is not. And I, I just, I have a lot of ex-military friends. And every time I hear about the VA, the comments are never good. So mm-hmm. something to think about. And uh, Martine David, I see your hand just went up. So, um, or maybe it didn't. Um, <laughs> all of a sudden disappeared again. Uh, if you're still with us, go ahead. If not, um, Jeremy, I think I want to bring this back to you. Um, what are you hearing today as we have this discussion? And Jeremy, I see a great graphic, but I can't hear you. Okay, good. So you see the graphic. There we go. I'm, I'm hearing, it, I mean, obviously, as our discussions go, they're, they're insightful and action-oriented. On that, on that same note of action and the things we were talking earlier about earlier, I th- we, we, the, the next poll that we threw up was what are the different variables in team dynamics? So again, how, how can we get to a, a starting point to either make something better or create something from scratch? Some of the, the key words, the key search terms that came up are team agreements, interdependent tasks, leadership, team resources, uh, clear expectations and objectives, shared purpose, collaboration, conflict management, team building, feedback, decision making. And then we can see on this mind map, we've got other things like team identity and motivation, trust, communication, personality, productivity style. So it's it's important to, to understand all that goes into this. It's, it's really your recipe, whether it's team management, whether it's onboarding, whether it's remote work, organizational climate work, uh, recruiting, workforce planning, you got, you, you, it's important to take a step back and say, what are the human ingredients that, and the behavioral ingredients, because you're going to, uh, you're likely going to shake something up with any kind of change management and understanding what are the ingredients and then how are those ingredients going to interact with each other? And then what's going to be the result. So I want to, I want to take this conversation to a place where we, we haven't really talked about much, I don't think, uh, in, in any or many of our podcasts, which is this internal marketing aspect. So when you look at the expanding functions of, of what HR and, and IO is, it's this communication with employees. Because, yes, there's that dynamic of the climate of the organization and transparency and the employee experience. But there's a delivery agent for that, and that's going to be the communication. So there's a couple of questions I'll throw out. Does it make sense for your, let's just call your overarching, I'm just going to say like your HR IO department. 
does it make sense for that department to work with to work with the company's marketing department and find out okay what are some of the best ways to communicate that you have found with the general public and then how might we tailor that to internal employees what you know even as specific as because if you're sending let's say email marketing out to employees because either you are trying to communicate something that's happening in the company maybe you're trying to get buy-in for some kind of a change maybe you're trying to communicate a new policy a new process a new procedure that may not be received well well big part of market very big part of marketing is psychology so now we have some kind of natural inroads so the question is does it make sense to partner with maybe the marketing department does it make sense to lean on the psych aspect again with the io and how are we communicating how are we increasing our employer brand and through all of these communications how are we not making people be, employees become defensive how are we how are we communicating not only our company brand but our employer brand so that we're creating an emotional attachment to the company and that we're creating a company that our employees want to you know get a, get some pom-poms and go scream at the top of the mountain hey you should work here too great advice dr martha let's go to you so what dr jeremy's saying is so important because as we all know there is a great deal of psychology in marketing and when you're trying to present new ideas the company's culture will have a great deal of impact on how those ideas are received if they're received if there's anything that ever comes out of whatever you're trying to promote so why not use psychology whether it's by engaging an io psychologist or if you are lucky enough to have a marketing department within a company and again we we have these discussions with an understanding that we're dealing with big companies who have all kinds of resources and all kinds of departments but small businesses make up such a um, large part of what's out there and they may not have an hr department uh, they may not have a marketing department but if you're lucky enough to have one then i think it's a fantastic idea to engage them in um, working together on how to sell these ideas internally um, there's really no difference people are people and psychology is psychology so why couldn't a marketing department figure out how to sell something internally and if you don't have a marketing department an io is a great resource as well i mean we're psychologists after all it's just that we specialize in io so that was a great point dr jeremy and linda ann let's go to you i think today especially with workforce that we're looking at that is typically being targeted for hiring and things like that that at this point the company brand is the employer brand and when the marketing department or whoever is handling your outward facing communications that needs to be communicated as part of the company brand because that's um what people are looking for people want to do business with companies that uh take care of their employees that have sustainability in mind all those kinds of things and that's what employees are looking to the companies that employees are looking to work towards so um and the way that that looks is through hr if you're doing say a habitat for humanity build then that's part of and maybe an hr activity or it could be just something that employees put together themselves and that companies can support and then your marketing department 
gives that out in outward facing um, communications. And that builds both your company brand and your employer brand. So I don't know that today there's really um, a big dichotomy in the two at this point. Well, I, I, Lee might be disagreeing with you. Let's go to you, Lee. Um, no, as usual, I agree with Linda because, you know, she's smart like that. Um, but the, you know, if you go to a lot of company websites now and you look at the about us, a lot of those, it talks about their culture, but it goes a step beyond a lot of times where they're showing, hey, look at our people here who are handing out water at, for the St. Jude rates, or here are our people building a house or have that humanity, you know, whatever. And so you can you can do it, you know, kind of a two-sided aspect to that where you can uh, you can offer these opportunities for your employees and then put them out to your employees. Hey, look at the great stuff your coworkers have done. Maybe next time you want to join us, as well as putting that into your 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 outward marketing, uh, both as far as recruitment, because I mean, let's face it, when you go when you're looking at a company, researching the company, you're looking at that stuff. Or, you know, today people are exceedingly uh, cognizant of the, you know, what does a company stand for? And, you know, people can figure it out if you're not. I mean, you know, between Glassdoor and the various social medias and people getting out there and saying, my employee, you know, my former employer, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that stuff gets out there and it gets, it gets everywhere in a hurry. Um, and, you know, people want to partner with companies that, that, believe what they believe. And, you know, and, and really when you're talking about an ongoing uh, relationship, it is a partnership. If you have a particular item that you like to purchase from someone and you do it religiously, that's a partnership. That's not just a, a, a you know, seller buyer thing. Uh, not, not today because the, everyone is so conscious of that. And uh, so, yeah, I think that that's, that's extremely important to kind of to, to do that. I mean, you know, this kind of goes to some of the stuff like, uh, you know, like uh, Simon Sinek talking about the why. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And that is, I think, more prevalent today than it's ever been. Yeah, it's one of those great advices. And, you know, if <laughs> if you're not into Simon Sinek, maybe you should be. Uh, Linda Ann, we're going to come to you next. But Jeremy, just to give you a heads up, I, I want to come to you after Linda Ann and um, see if there's any new news at Seabock. So Linda Ann, go ahead, except with your mic on. I just wanted to mention that one of the things that we we had done with em employees is uh, uh, provided them with two volunteer days a year. In addition to that, people, if they were going to go out and volunteer in the community, they didn't have to take personal time because no it contributed to the community and it contributed to the reputation of the organization. And it supported people's also their their um personal goals. So it was a win-win all the way around for not a lot of investment in, in from the company. I think that's a great way to look at things. Uh, Jeremy, let's go back to you. So I'll share, I'll share uh, uh, something that we've got out from, uh, from Patty, but I wanted to, I wanted to share my screen and show this first. <laughs> this is something that's always stuck out to me. So I pulled up uh, what we're looking at is uh, the, you know, ONET, where you look at the different occupations and all the tasks. So I pulled up industrial organizational psychologist. And if you look right here, one of the tasks is study consumers reactions to new products and package designs and to advertising efforts using surveys and tests, which is really interesting because it's one of the, it's uh, one of the only external, the external focused functions 
externally focused functions that are listed here that doesn't have to do directly with uh with you know within the organization so for those of you there's a lot of ios who, who said oh if i wasn't an ios i would have gotten to marketing because there's so I, I think marketing is one of the absolute biggest consumers of psychology so at, you know as an io or if you're in hr how how much would you just love to get your hands on all the data that marketing departments have on a b testing and what fonts work better and what time of day and all this because they've, they've got it and how what it's so good that we're talking about this and how uh these people departments and organizations can get with the marketing departments and find out listen you've you all have a lot of experience in relating to people getting 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 buy-in pulling people's attention putting pause between, uh, you know, stopping the scroll, for example, to get them to focus. So I think this, I think this is just a really interesting, it's always caught my eye in this task. So again, I'll, I'll read it for those listening to the podcast, study consumers' reactions to new products and package designs and advertising efforts using surveys and tests. I, as, you know, I, I, this just sounds like so much fun. I also want to mention here, you'll be able to see, so Dr. Patricia Delgado, you can go to you can see the URL up here, Bridgify, the bridgifygroup.com slash online hyphen courses. There is a September cohort for the course and also an October one that's coming up. And there's three levels, foundations of research, advanced level research, and research masterclass. And this is helping people to better use research within organizations, becoming that research translator. And she is offering all CBOC members $100 off. So look out, CBOC members, look out for an email that will come to you and with uh, those codes. And if you're, uh, if you want to get in right away before that email, just send an email to hello at cboc.com and say, Hey, for Patty's course, what are, what are the codes for that, uh, for that discount? But very excited about this. And then Tom, can you, can you tell us quick, when will the, where can people find that interview that we just did earlier today with virtual communication mastery? with Dr. Patricia Delgado. Uh, you can hopefully within the next 24 to 48 hours, find it on the VC Mastery web website. So that's vcmastery.com. Uh, also, if someone wants to uh, see it and it's not there, uh, just get a hold of me through LinkedIn and um, I will put it up or I'll send you the link. Um, also, I should, once Nancy's got the editing done, I will probably uh, put it up on LinkedIn as well. So if you want to go to uh, Thomas Bradshaw on LinkedIn, uh, we'll probably find the link there. It might be the easiest for a lot of people. Yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe we'll post it on the CBOX site as well, just for fun. Sure. Uh, and then next week is Game Changers for the field of IO. We did a post on that. We got some pretty interesting responses. So that's what our topic is next week. Tom, back over to you. Well, let's go right to Dr. Martha. Just a quick comment on what Dr. Jeremy was saying about the different tasks associated with IOs. Uh, just as an IO could focus on consumer or customer reactions, external customers, the same principles would apply focusing on internal customers or consumers, meaning an organization's employees. So in that sense, it doesn't just have to be an external focus. Very, very true. Um, <laughs> all right, Jeremy. So I'm a manager. I've walked down the hall to my HR IO department. I walk in the door and go, congratulations, you're now doing marketing. And then I leave. How many more times am I going to walk down that hall and 
<laughs> thanks, Linda Ann, into that HR, uh, HRIO department and go, congratulations, everyone, you're now doing this. So beyond the marketing, are, are there other things that we should be looking at that one, at some point someone's going to go, now your job? We are conversation. I can't remember when it was, but that reminds me of our, our recent conversation, responsibility creep. And all of a sudden, HR, I think Linda was saying this, all of a sudden, HR becomes a catch all for, all right, we don't know what to do with this. So you do it. And then also with, with IO, and I, we discussed how HR is going through a rebranding. And then IO is going through, even though we're 100 years old, our initial branding. And it's important for both to to be clear about competencies to be clear about um you know uh expert functional levels of individuals so that responsibility creep doesn't come in and it just doesn't become a catch-all because then the great minds of people and the great specific skill sets of people in both hr and io start to give way to a lot of administrative type tasks. And all of a sudden you're not getting your salaries worth for the expertise that you're paying for those particular salaries. So it's important that, um, you know, just like with any initiative and with any type of task delegation, there's a way to do it. If you notice, oh, hey, you're in HR, you might say to someone, I noticed that you're really good with X, Y, and Z. That made me think of this marketing thing. And someone might say, yeah, I'd be into that. Or someone would say, no, no, not at all. Yeah, I'm good with that. But I hate, you know, there's no way. I, I very much dislike every aspect of marketing. So try to tap into what people's talents are and what they're, you know, does it align even remotely with the job description? And if it does, great. If not, there's a conversation to be had because you might be given someone that's people love to do interesting and challenging work. People like to be challenged every day. People look for that. So someone might take it up and say, this is interesting and this would be challenging work for me. And then you have a nice dynamic because if you're, if someone really isn't into it, they're probably not going to do the best of job anyway. They're not going to give that discretionary, that extra effort anyway. And you sure as heck aren't doing any good in, in uh, creating that emotional attachment to your department or, or, or company. So, so let me ask you this, and we've, we've got about two minutes left. So there are some people who go to university and, you know, study to become an IO. There are some people who go to university and, you know, to study, become an HR professional. There are some people who have even gone to school and they've taken a look at both, you know, and they've got a little bit of experience in both. And we've talked about the explosion in IO programs and how many more post-secondaries are offering them. Are we moving in a direction where some university is going to come up with a hybrid degree that's both IO and HR, or are they unique enough that we really do need people to solidly be in one camp or the other? I think they're unique enough. I feel like I've seen a decrease in the organizational behavior degree. So it used to be your organizational behavior degrees would be part of your business department at your college. And then your IO psychology and the psychology. I've noticed a decrease in people with an organizational behavior, you know, going for that because there's HR, there's MBAs, and then there's IO psych. And I think there's a, a clear delineation there. On that note, I've always said, you know, I've got I've gone on if you know years ago, you might have gone on LinkedIn and typed in organizational psychology and found 
you know, maybe 10,000 people or 50,000. And then I typed in all the variations probably a year and a half ago, and it was 170,000. And I did in January, it was 200 something thousand. I did it this morning. It was over half, it was over half a million. If you type in just organizational site. So you want to talk about a field that's never, it, it's a, it's never ending. And again, tipping points coming. It's, I think it's good news for the, for the world of business, for, for organizations, because finally there's um, some help that's going there. And I know it's a, I know the topics and the angles are something that those who have been in HR are really interested in with their strong desire to help people, help companies with the strategy. And I think it's nice because it gives people in, in one field, which would be HR, a little something, you know, hey, here's something different. Here's something a little more of what I've been thinking of and something else that they can look into in terms of either professional development or just brainstorming with, uh, with another. Great. And with that, I think that's a pretty good place to, to wrap this up because our time has come to an end. Uh, so thank you everyone for joining us. We will be back in one week's time and we will be talking about game changers uh, for the field of industrial organizational psychology. So with that, thank you very much, everyone. Once again, another great conversation and we'll look forward to seeing you all again next week. Thanks, Jeremy. And with that, you want to count us out. Yeah, Tom, masterful as always. We don't know what we do without you. And for the everyone on the panel and involved today, excellent as always. Thank you so much. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S E B O C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.